Father, I pray for Pastor Luke this morning that as he brings the word of God, that everything that is his would decrease, Lord, and everything that is yours would increase. That the Holy Spirit would take the truth of your word and shove it so far down deep into our souls, Lord, that it separates everything from soul and spirit, bone and marrow, flesh and blood, Lord, that we would be completely undone and changed by your word this morning, that, this, that we would not leave this place the same people that we were when we walked in. Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for Pastor Luke. We pray, Lord, that you would give him endurance and energy and passion as he brings the word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Luke. If you haven't met me or if I haven't met you yet, um, you, I may have to ask your excuse a little bit today. My sinuses are fighting against me, so if I have to pause to clear my throat, I apologize. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about... Thinking about the sermon, and I was again, impressed upon just exactly what it is that we do here on a Sunday morning. Because, like, I'm not up here to give you a TED Talk. I'm just not. Um, you could find a bunch of those on YouTube that are really great. Um, but I'm not here to give you some sort of spiritual TED Talk. I'm here to open the Bible with you. Um, this is God's Word. It's what we believe, right? How did God create the universe? He spoke. Right? He, um, what did, um, when Moses was in the wilderness, this nobody shepherd at the time was called into ministry to go and release God's people, what did God do? He spoke and he gave his name, I am. When in 1 John, the beginning of that book, it talks about Christ coming into humanity to save the world, it describes him as the Word. Right, The Word became flesh. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it talks about God breathed the Word and it's profitable and it produces the fruit of the Spirit inside of us. And so today, my hope is not that you hear a bunch of interesting thoughts or stories, but that you hear God's Word. And that the same creative and powerful and redemptive power that is in His Word when it created the world, when Christ entered into this world to save it, has its effect in our hearts this morning too. I think Christ has something for us today. I think he has some, a personal invitation for you. It's not just a general invitation. You know, the difference between um, getting kind of like a mass mailer, right, or something in the mail, right, you ever get excited when you go out to the mailbox and you, you get a mail and it's like actually got your, your name handwritten on it? Somebody like personally sent you something that wasn't like a credit card trying to get you to sign up for it, right? Versus like you get all, oh yeah, like it's no longer fun to get mail because it's all junk or it's all things and reminders you don't want to know about. Um, and, but when you get that personal invitation, when you're like, oh, somebody took time to write my name to... Uh, put my address down on this envelope and send it to me. We're much more excited about those personal invitations. 
And the thing is, is that today I want you to hear that there is a personal invitation to each and every one of you in this room. I mean that. Uh, if you came into this room today, Christ has an invitation specifically for you. And I don't want you to hear this as some sort of like, <clears throat> like mass invitation. I want you to hear Christ's personal invitation to you. So this morning, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 14, and that's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to spend most of our time, Luke chapter 14. If you want to open up a Bible uh, and join me there. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible that you feel like you understand or can read, uh, let us know. We will give you a Bible. If uh, you find a Bible that's in the pews there with you that doesn't belong to your neighbor, um, it's one of the ones that we've got there, and you are more than welcome to take that Bible home. So, yet Luke chapter 14. Yes, so Luke chapter 14. So if you are kind of, if you're looking at the beginning of the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. It's the third book of the Bible. And if you ever struggle to find the books of the Bible, you can always open up to the table of contents in the front, and that'll give you a page number of where to go. Um, but again, like I said, if you need a Bible, want a Bible, you just want a Bible that you're like, you know, I've got this old KJV that somebody gave me a long time ago, and I open it up, and I just can't understand it, let us know. We'll help you find a translation that is a little bit more easy to read and understand. <clears throat> so we're going to look in Luke chapter 14. Um, and one of the things that we try and do here is impress the importance of reading the Bible well, right? A lot of times, the way we interact with the Bible is kind of in this, like, grab bag kind of approach, right? If you've um, ever just opened the Bible to a passage, and you're just like, all right, this verse, and you're going to start there, right? A lot of uh, stuff that we interact with online and um, even in some, some ways, um, we just kind of learn the Bible. We learn a lot of it out of context. We are constantly jumping in, and we're like, one verse, right? Um, well, we want to know the context of those verses. And so today, the main text I want to focus on is later in chapter 14, but because I want to give us the context. I want to know what comes before we get to that place so that we understand what's happening in the bigger story. So, just a tip for your own personal Bible reading. So, let's dig in. Luke chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to see where, uh, what exactly is going on in the story right when Jesus is going about and doing his ministry here. It says, one Sabbath, so the on the Saturday, a holy day that the Jews didn't work on, if set aside, one Sabbath, Jesus went to eat with the house of a prominent Pharisee. Pharisee being one of the religious leaders. He was being carefully watched, and there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal, abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it fit, lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him 
and sent him on his way. And then Jesus asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox, I don't know why Jesus puts a child and an ox right next to each other, but he does. If you have a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So all that, what is that, what is that talking about? So <clears throat> the religious leaders, the practice of the law of what they felt was honoring and the way you were ought to live is you weren't supposed to do any work at all on the Sabbath. You're supposed to keep it holy and do no work. And Jesus comes up in front of this man as he's coming to dinner with these prominent religious leaders. And does, does anybody else find it funny that you're coming to dinner and there just happens to be this guy with this massive illness right there? Right? Is it possible that the Pharisees were maybe trying to trap Jesus, trying to get him to uh, maybe kind of compromise himself? They're like, oh, we're going to put somebody in front of him that he's going to want to heal. And he, know, he shouldn't heal on the Sabbath because that's work. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, guys. <laughs> he shows up and he, he heals the guy. And then he's like, you guys, he's like, is it, is it lawful to heal him on the Sabbath? He's like, but you guys, if you had a son or livestock that fell into a well, would you not go immediately and pull it out? That's something he's referencing two different places in Jewish teaching outside of the Old Testament where they had made allowances to say, oh, if your son falls down a well or is hurt or if your livestock, they had made provisions. They're like, you know what? That's an extreme circumstance and you can do that kind of work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is like, look, you guys have made special provisions and all of the extra laws and ways you guys feel like you're half supposed to be living the religious code to save your son or an ox, but you guys are going to give me a hard time about healing a man who suffered his whole life with this debilitating swelling disease in his, in his body. And the religious leaders are silenced by that. And so that's uh, before Jesus has sat down to have dinner, right? This is going to be an awkward, intense, and contentious meal. Um, and it only gets worse from there. So let's move on um, to verse 7. <clears throat> now, everybody's getting in and taking their seats, and when Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. So they're all sitting down at the table, and maybe in your family, um, your dad or your parents had specific Table, seats at the table that they would sit at. Um, this is kind of like a more intense version of that. There was the special seat where the host was supposed to sit, and then where you sat in relation to them was an indicator of your status, your prominence, and your importance. And everybody's coming in, and they're all kind of like, uh, I think I'm going to sit here. Uh, you can sit over there, right? They're all kind of like, posturing for which seat am I going to get? Which seat of honor am I going to get? You know what? I'm, I don't really think that this seat matches my station in life. I think I should be sitting up there, right? That's the kind of thing, the jostling that is going about. And Jesus tells them a parable when he speaks into this. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor 
or person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what's Jesus talking about? I mean, this isn't too hard for us to grasp if you've ever been to a wedding, right? You go to the wedding, ceremony's over, they've kind of come in, everybody's sitting down to have the reception dinner. Uh, A lot of times there's either a table where just either the couple sits at, or there's a table where um, maybe the couple and uh, all the grooms, uh, groomsmen and the bridesmaids all sit, and they're all kind of ordered. If you were to like walk into the reception and you were just like, oh, look at this nice little table with all the flowers and candles. I think I'm going to sit at this one, right? And you just sit down and you're like, excuse me, but that's where the bride is supposed to sit, right? Like how embarrassing would that be? And so Jesus is saying, you don't do that when you go to a wedding, right? You, You don't say, you know what, like, or, or like when they're getting ready to have like the ceremony, you, you know you're not supposed to sit in the front row because that's reserved for the like parents. You don't go sit in the parents' seat because then an usher is going to say, excuse me, uh, you need to go sit back there. And Jesus is like, if you don't do that in the context of a wedding, then why would you do that in the context of life? Right? Christ is saying like, you ought, to be not seeking and scrambling for the places of honor because what you're going to do is you're going to find out is that you're not as deserving of honor as perhaps you estimate yourself to be. Rather, show yourself worthy of honor by willingly taking a lower place. And so Jesus is humbling these religious leaders. He's sitting with, like, he's at like one of the most important men in the cities house for dinner, and he's sitting with some of the most important religious leaders in the entire city, and he is just like coming at them. He's just like knocking them down a peg. He's like, you guys think you guys can trap me in this, like, should I heal? Should I not heal? You guys here are all so self-concerned, and you guys are all so concerned with your own status And it's even possible that you guys were so concerned with trapping me that rather than caring for a sick man and inviting him into dinner, you used him as bait to try and trap me in a religious argument. And Jesus moves on with that thought in the next couple of verses. Jesus then said to the host in verse 12, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, (coughs) pardon me, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. You will be blessed, although they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." So Jesus, he's called out the guests 
And then he turns to the host of the table, and he's like, uh, you should have invited people like that guy that you guys had planted outside your door. He's like, you are showing generosity to uh, your friends. And is that really generosity? We just talked a lot about generosity, right? Is that really generosity if we're doing it with an understanding that we're going to get our back scratched too? If we're willing to say, you know what? Like, I'm going to bring so-and-so over for dinner because I know they will invite me over to dinner. And that doesn't feel risky, right? It feels risky to trust and to be generous to people who we don't feel like are going to be generous back to us, right? And so Jesus has pretty much called everybody out at dinner so far, and everybody is probably a little bit incensed, a little bit um, insulted. And this is uh, somebody, you know, there's always, I don't know if you've ever been at a dinner table that's been a little awkward, right? Like, I'm one of those people who hates awkward conversation. And if, you know, and you're like trying to change the topic, you're like, all right, let's stop talking about politics now. We're at Thanksgiving, right? Like, how do I change the topic? And so um, one of those guys who hates awkward silences uh, speaks up in this next verse, and he says, uh, then one of those at the table heard this, and he said to Jesus, ah, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So he's like, uh, rather than focus on the fact that you just insulted the host, let's just like talk about the kingdom of God. Yeah, like, um, yeah, Jesus, that's great. Like all of us will be happy when we, all of us here, we'll surely be sitting at the feast in the kingdom of God, right? So we can all be all, we can all be in agreement about that, right? Like he's expecting everybody to kind of nod and agree and kind of move on from the awkwardness that's happening at the table. And Jesus is like, oh no, uh, you have misunderstood, friend, right? Because there is this assumption. I can hear it in, in the voice, right? Like, like, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And he's like, and that's, that's us. That's me. There's this assumption in that statement. And Jesus is about to, uh, he's about to blow up that assumption, So Jesus replied with this parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. He set out all the RSVPs. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those he had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Everything's getting, like, we, we've slaughtered all the animals. It's all cooking. We got the plates all set out. It's all ready. Go bring the guests. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became very angry, and he ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, 
the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So you get this picture of this feast, this banquet is laid out. It's ready. It's, 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 it's getting ready to come out of the oven and be placed on the table for all to eat. And the master has sent the servant out. He's like, okay, go and bring everybody who said they were going to come. They all got inv- invites. They all said they were going to come. And he gets there, and each one of them has an excuse. I, yeah, I know I was going to come. But, you know, I've, I've got this field. Like, I, I bought it, and I kind of just want to go walk around in it. Right? He wants to go spend some time in a field. Um, rather than go to this thing that he was invited to and he said yes to earlier. And then this other person's like, yeah, I bought some, like, some oxen. And, and like, I'm going to go try them out. I'm going to go walk them around the field, right? <laughs> and, uh, and then the other person is just like, well, yeah, I, I just got married, you know? And it's just like, I, I just don't want to go, right? It's just kind of like, you kind of get the sense, like, none of these in the context would be adequate excuses to a thing that had been invited to so much earlier, Right? And they had all said yes. They're all kind of just like, what's like a random thing that like I would rather be doing than go to this in- invitation? They're all finding these distractions. They're all saying no. And then the master is like, you know what? Like this banquet will not go to waste. He's like, go and bring all the crippled, the blind, the lame, bring them into my house and seat them at at this table. And even when there's room left, he's like, no, 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 go farther, go outside the city, go to those who are even more um, harder to get and compel them to come in and sit down because I will not let my house be empty. He's so passionate about having that, about his house being filled. And Christ is speaking this word to a bunch of people who feel like they've gotten the invite, and he's saying, you guys are distracted. You guys are distracted by your rules, by your status, by the things that you think are so important that even though I, right here, the Messiah, who is bringing the very kingdom of God you speak of, you guys are missing it. You guys are so distracted that the kingdom of God is sitting with you at the table and you guys aren't seeing it. And so I'm going to go out. I'm going to bring all the people that you don't think belong at this table and I'm going to fill them seats. I'm going to have this table filled. I'm going to have my father's house, his table filled with those who you think are not good enough to be there. That is a powerful word of rebuke. Like, can you imagine, like, like, 
it does not get more clear than this, right? You see why we started with the context? Because if we didn't know that Jesus was talking about a banquet while also being at a banquet, the power of the message that he's saying to those people gets lost a little bit. So now that we've kind of read through this passage, we've kind of thought about Jesus's original message, we need to kind of think now to that personal invitation I was talking about at the beginning. What's that personal message and invitation that Christ has been making to you this morning? How do we do that? And so kind of good Bible study principle is first to honor the core truth or honor the original intent of the passage. So what was Jesus saying then? All right, now let's think about that and kind of apply that to us now. Let's think about our context, right? Because we're not Jewish Pharisees sitting around at a table, right? We're here in Jamestown, New York. We've got, it's the year 2023, uh, and TikTok is around. So let's apply, let's figure out how to apply um, what Christ is saying then to what he's saying right now this morning to each and every one of us. I think um, this isn't the main point of what I wanted to emphasize today, but I think this is a, um, a point we cannot miss. We need to lean into following the way of Jesus in honoring all people. How can we follow the way of Jesus in honoring all people? Jesus, in this passage, has got a very clear point. He's like, who are you being hospitable to? Who are you showing honor to? Is it just people who are like you? Pastor Cameron and I, earlier this week, we were talking about Jesus' command to love your neighbor And so often when we take that command and we're like, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Well, who is your neighbor? Is your neighbor like the people you already like? The people you already like to spend time with? Are they people just like you, right? Are we kind of looking around, scanning the room, scanning our social circles and saying, who is my neighbor? Well, It just happens to be that all my neighbors are people who are really easy to be nice to, right? Um, I like to to borrow a line from Mr. Rogers. Um, Mr. Rogers, uh, if you've seen that show, right? He doesn't start out by saying, like, are you my neighbor? He says, will you be my neighbor, right? We need to get into the habit of looking around the room and coming up to people and not saying, like, is this a person who I'm going to choose to be neighborly to, to love like myself? No, no, no. Like, will you be my neighbor? Will you allow me to love you with the love of Christ? That's an entirely different question than just kind of going about and judging and selecting in our mind and our heart and saying, these are the people who we're going to love like Christ, and these are the people who we're just kind of going to, like, leave over here. Christ is saying, no, no, no. Like, if you're going to follow me, you've got to practice this radical hospitality. You've got to practice this radical love of other people, even when they're so different than you. 
that is a call to us as the people of Christ. Let us honor Christ by following after him in his example there. The second thing that I want to really, the main thing that honestly I really want to emphasize in that personal invitation is that Jesus has a seat set for you at his table. Like today, this passage is an affirmation that Christ has a seat for you. If you were like, you know what, I didn't know if I was going to make it here today, or I didn't kind of really want to be here today, Um, or I've been here a thousand times, but like, does it really matter if I'm here? Like, you're not here on accident. I believe that Christ has a seat for you at his table. And I think there's two groups of us that kind of make that up. And 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 when I'm talking about a seat at the table, like, what am I talking about? I'm talking about like two things in my mind here. One is this larger invitation because Christ is certainly talking about uh, the end of all things. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about life after death. He's talking about when he establishes his kingdom in full, he wants to fill his father's house, the place that he has gone to prepare for those who follow after him. He's like, there's a place for you there. But then I believe that Christ is also talking about the kingdom, and knowing him now. I think that there is space that Christ wants to know us and have relationship with us each and every single day. And so I think that some of us may have said yes to a future invitation while ignoring Jesus' current day-to-day invitation. Some of us have said, yep, I follow Jesus, I've gotten baptized, I'm all about, like, I'm all about that. But, like, until then, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. I'm not going to show up to, like, the, I'm not going to show up to any of the smaller parties. We get into this place where we begin to deceive ourselves and to think, if we begin to think our daily choices don't amount or impact our final choice, right? Um, (coughs) Pardon me. There is a book, a shorter book by John Piper called God is the Gospel, and there's a small phrase in there or a way he kind of put this that really crystallized this concept or idea for me when I read that book a while ago. Um, He's talking about heaven, And he says, no one is going to be in heaven who is only casually interested that God is also there. Sometimes we kind of look at heaven and we're like, you know, I want fire insurance, right? I want to make sure I don't go to the other place. Like, and and we're just like, that's the thing we want. We want eternal life. That all sounds good. And then, but the thing is, is like, okay, are you interested in just kind of having a happy afterlife? But if you were, if God wasn't there, if you got to heaven and God wasn't there, would, would that bug you at all? Right? And, and if it doesn't, where is your relationship with God? Because the point isn't like 
paradise. That's not what we're chasing after. We're chasing after God. And so what we have here is we have this parable about people who were all excited about the invitation they got, but at the end of the day, they weren't actually all that interested at sitting at the table of the person they had been invited to. And when it finally got there, they were so distracted by the other things of life that they just kind of dismissed the invitation. And I think that we run the risk of ourselves of constantly saying, you know what, I'm, I'm a little bit too distracted today to sit at the table with Jesus. And my question is, is what is that saying about our heart and our condition later? So, two invitations for two different people. Um, the first is for those who have excuses. Right? The first invitation I have today is for those of us who are so distracted, who are so caught up in the busyness, the anxiety, the pleasures, uh, or even the hurts of life, that, you know what, I just don't have time to meet with Jesus. You know what, like, because well, there are some of you in, the, in this room that when you get here on Sunday, you're starving. You're coming here because you're just like, I need some spiritual food. I am so hungry and famished. And you, you get filled up while you're here, and then you step out that door, and that's the only meal you have the, for the entire week. And by the end of the week, you're famished again. And, and, and I'm telling you that throughout the week, it's like you're trying to fill yourself up on, on frozen dinners, like maybe, maybe the little banquet frozen dinners. <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> When there's a real banquet to be had each day. Man, that was too cheesy. <laughs> yeah, I used to work in a grocery store, so I know all the brands of the frozen dinners. <laughs> I put a lot of those red boxes on shelf. Um, but, like, the point is, right, is how, like, speaking to myself, right? Let's talk to myself for a minute. What's the first thing I grab in the morning? My phone. I don't drink coffee. I drink tea. Um, <laughs> right? But I grab my phone. What do I do to get myself up and going? Distract myself. I get some, some videos. I see if I got any notifications. Check my email. Like, ooh, uh, that's funny. I should send that to Cameron, right? Um, like, I am immediately distracting myself. And how much time am I spending there? And I'm just, then I kind of like look at the time, and I'm like, oh, I should get out of bed now. I got to kind of run to make, it to make it to where I need to go on time. And so what have I done? I've eaten up all of my space in my morning on my phone, on videos that I couldn't tell you what they were, right? After I've swiped 
Like, I'm two videos down from the last video I was looking at. I can't tell you what that last video was. That's how insignificant those things are. For how many, how many videos do I watch? And out of, like, like, 30, I remember, like, what, one, maybe, right? I'm filling myself up with distractions. And we might be filling ourselves up with, Maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's just the busyness of your schedule. Maybe, like, we have this culture of taking busyness and using it as this, like, badge of honor. Like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Good. Busy. I'm very busy, but good, right? Like, like we wear this badge of honor. Like, I'm very busy. I've got a lot of things going on. And, and I feel very important when I'm running all over the place. But are you taking time to sit with Jesus? Are you? Are we perhaps even prioritizing good things? The thing is, is that in the parable, none of them are saying like, oh, you know, I'm going to go and like, I'm going to go hang out with like some prostitutes. Like none of them are giving like awful, like inexcusable. They're like lifting up good things, right? He's like, going to the um, take care of my field. I'm going to go take care of my oxen. I'm going to go spend time with my wife, right? Like none of those are awful things in themselves, but they become excuses and distractions in light of the significance of the invitation. Jesus, in, later in this passage, shortly after this passage, goes in, you know what, let me just see if I can find it. Um, yeah, yeah. Very next verse, verse uh, 25 of chapter 14 says this, Lord, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning them, turn to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Christ is saying, if you are not willing to let go of all of those things, if you're like, you know what, Jesus, like, I would rather have this. I would rather have my ideal of a family than I would rather follow you. It's not that you actually have to hate your mother. It's that you have to choose Christ over your mother. Christ is saying, I am worthy. Don't say no to the invitation. Like, say yes to the invitation. Don't become distracted. And so, what I, my main point to those who, are, who have excuses, who are saying, I'm waiting for my life to get to the place where, you know what, I, it's just so much easier for me to set aside time to be with the Lord. I will really dedicate myself to knowing Jesus when, no, like if, if that, that, that when, you will always have an excuse, right? It's, it's, the same, it's the same thing if anyone who's like, you know what, I'll go to the gym when, right? Like there will always be an obstacle to go and do the thing you ought to be doing until you choose to do it. And so my encouragement to you is to stop choosing frozen dinners over a banquet, Stop filling yourself up on distractions and things 
than sitting down at the table with Jesus and filling yourself up on true food. Because Sunday morning is not supposed to be the only meal you have with Christ a a week. That's not a way to live your life. This brings to me a um, quote. This is a quote I often love to say from C.S. Lewis. He describes it this way. C.S. Lewis says, Our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, Lewis right there is saying, it's not that, you might be saying like, well, Jesus, like, I would just rather like just be on my phone or do the thing that I want to be doing other than spending time with Jesus. I would rather do that. And Jesus is saying, look, it's not that like, because you, what you do, what you think you're doing is choosing like, you know, a really delicious cookie over broccoli. What you're really doing is you're choosing like, um, like, like a, a really stale cookie for like a banquet of cookies. <laughs> I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> G- C.S. Lewis is saying like you, you think that you're making a, a decision in alignment with what is most pleasurable and what you don't realize is that you're abandoning, tr- abandoning to true joy and pleasure at the feet of Christ. He's saying, you, you don't understand. You think this is true food, but you have not yet tasted true food. You have not tasted true joy. The presence of Christ meeting you as you seek him in prayer, as you open the word and you say, Lord, what is it you have for me today? The knowing that the Lord is walking with you throughout the day, is that not so much more worth it than a handful of minutes spent doing something else. What is truly worth it? My second, so that's the first invitation. My second invitation is to those of you who are on the outside. Those of you who feel like you're not really supposed to be in church. To those who are like, you know what, if all these people around me who are sitting in the pews with me were to know about the messiness in my life, the messiness in my heart, the way that I don't have it all together, you know what, I I, I really wrestle with is Jesus, like, like I got to get myself stuff together. And once I get my stuff together, then Jesus, Jesus will be okay with me. If that's the narrative that's in your head, I want to say that Jesus has a seat for you at his table as you are right now. Right? The gospel is that not that Jesus came and died for those who are willing to get their lives together. That's not, that's not the gospel. Jesus came and died for us while we were still sinners. Yet while we were still enemies with God, Christ gave 
himself for us so that we might be made children. We might be daughters and sons of the Lord Most High while we were sinners. That's where it starts. Christ has an open invitation. Actually, more than that, he's in this parable. I love the image of this servant going out to the roads and dragging people in to sit at the table. And some of you have been dragged here. Some of you have. And Christ wants you to sit at the table. This place is yours. This seat is yours. It was prepared for you. Christ wants you here. We want you here. That is the gospel. You don't have to fix yourself up to belong to Christ. You simply have to say, Lord, yes. There's a passage I just want to finish with. Isaiah chapter 25. We'll start in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 25. This passage, the reason I'm bringing this passage up is because this is potentially the passage, remember when the dinner party was really awkward with Jesus and that one guy kind of broke the silence and he's like, oh, blessed are those who will sit at the feast in the kingdom of heaven, right? <clears throat> this is the passage that he was possibly referring to. So this is Isaiah, which is, Backwards in your Bible, Isaiah 25, verse 6. It'll be up here on the screen. It says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. And on this mountain... He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers up all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Amen. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove people's disgrace from all the earth. I think that is talking about something both near and far. I think that is talking about Christ being up on the Mount of Golgotha and pouring out his blood and breaking his body in the meal of communion, right? Like Christ pour out his blood as the new covenant to wash away our sins and broke his body as the new wine and the bread of the new covenant we celebrate every time we take communion. We are a new people and Christ swallowed up death on that cross on that mountain. And he made us all here a new people. Each and every single one of us, we're, some of us are related, but most of us aren't. And we are now part of a truer family than any blood because it's been made by the blood of Christ. We've been invited to feast at that table that Christ has set ultimately with himself. Eat and drink of my flesh and you will thirst no more, nor will you go hungry. Christ is the meal. We're to come and sit at that table with him and know him and be in communion with one another. 
And there will be a day when all peoples, not just this church, but every church throughout history, will be God, God will gather together and bring to himself, and he will redeem a new heaven and a new earth, and he will make all things right. It is both a banquet that is near, and it is a banquet that is also soon and yet to come. So I want to leave you with some practical application questions, some questions to perhaps wrestle with, to say, you know what, how can I bring this, not just as a, like, feel-good thought on a Sunday, but how do I actually bring this invitation into my life and start to feast with Christ? First question is that I have for you is, what distractions are keeping you from feasting with Christ? that shrink when I look at the scale of eternity, right? What are the distractions that are keeping me from spending time with Christ? What are they? Do you have one that's coming to mind? Take note. Wrestle with that question. The second question I have is, what lie of shame is keeping me from accepting Jesus' invitation? What lie of shame is keeping me from accepting Jesus' invitation? Is there a lie that, you know what, I can't, I really don't belong here? Like, Jesus, like, Jesus probably likes other people, but he doesn't like me. That, is that a belief? It's a belief that some of us really wrestle with. I know that. What's one thing, next question, what's the one thing I can do this week to spend more time sitting with Jesus? That's one thing. Can I spend a minute in prayer before I get out of my car, before I go to work? Can I, can I pause before I turn the light off at night? Can I perhaps maybe put my phone down instead of scrolling before going, going to bed and spend some time in prayer? What if I cut five minutes off of my social media use and spent it reading a chapter of the Bible? What's one thing I can do to take a step towards sitting down and feasting with Christ this week? The very last question is, and not unimportantly, how can I honor people more like Jesus did? How can I look to those who are around me and love them more like Christ? Be more willing and more generous to them? Can I be perhaps less... Uh, quick to judge? Can I be perhaps more generous with my words, with my encouragement, with my time, my willingness to listen? Where can I love others more as Christ did? Let's pause as the worship team comes up, and let's spend a moment in time in prayer. And my prayer is that ultimately for you right now, the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would press upon each and every person here the specific invitation you have for them. Lord, I pray that no one would walk out of this church today not having felt an invitation from you, an invitation to know you more, to sit at your table. Lord, we as a people are distracted 
We live in a world full of things, of noise, things that would keep our attention and distract our hearts. Lord, we are so too easily prone to wander. Lord, bind our hearts to you. Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to come back and sit at the table with you. Lord, this morning I pray that you would, you would cast out lies from people's minds and hearts. Lies that are keeping people in bondage from accepting the grace that you have so freely offered each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would, you would cast out the lies of shame and guilt that are keeping from people from stepping into their new identity in you. Lord, I pray that in this community, you would make us a people of humility. You would make us and help us to be a people who practice the hospitality and the grace and the love of Christ. That you would help us to love our neighbors well. Lord, I pray that you would guard us against religious pride. That we would always seek you more than we would seek our programs, more than we would seek success, more than we would seek kind of religious prestige. Lord, we want to be a people marked by you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall on us and that we would know you more, that you would move in us in a way that is new and fresh, that you would draw us closer to you, that we might know you more. Christ, that is what we desire. It's what we want, what we came here for today. Lord, might you be glorified amongst us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Conduit, let's make that our prayer, truly, that we would make room for Christ in our hearts to do what he wants to. I want to keep these altars open after service if anyone wants to come forward and, and offer anything up to make room for Christ to do whatever he wants to in your life and heart. I want that to stay available don't ignore that invitation if Christ is pressing that upon your heart. As you go out into the week, I pray that you would know that Christ is with you, that he is upholding you, that he loves you, and that he has an invitation and a seat for you at his table. Might we all know Christ more this week. Go in peace.